Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from everything school HQ. The Vols are back. What a week! What a week in. Knoxville, Tennessee. Tennessee obliterates the Vanderbilt Commodores, the number four Vanderbilt Commodores who came to town over the weekend. Tennessee recalibrates, uh, recharges, retools uh, this baseball season to get back on track. They were right where Ole Miss was when they won the title a year ago, many are saying. That lightning might strike twice here for the Tennessee baseball team. That's how they're spinning it now? Wow. That's how we do it. And then Dalton Connect, Chris Ledlam out of the portal, joining up with the Tennessee basketball team. Now in Joe Lenardi's preseason number two seed coming into the 2024 March Madness NCAA tournament pool. So once again, everything School HQ, Tennessee softball, taking care of business against our tribal Florida, their top 10 team. Um, it's just top 10 team everywhere. Just good vibes everywhere. Uh, all across the board, you're getting on three founder love about Dante Thornton being the best player out of the portal. 
uh, this cycle. So everything good here on Rocky Top, everything HQ. And then you got down there in Athens where it's just, you can't keep anybody there anymore. It's just one of those things where people just keep exiting the portal. Like they're Colorado or something down there in Athens, Georgia. What is, Macri, I, I have how are to you? speak up. I have to speak up. I can only take this for so long. First of all, the pumping sunshine about Tennessee baseball. This this season's been a train wreck. They're what, preseason number two? Preseason number one? You were hyping that up? They're like, they're what, eight and ten in the conference? The the gutter, the gutter down of in Athens, Georgia. They're they're seven and eleven in the conference. Hold on. One game behind one game behind Tennessee. Georgia's not even good at baseball. Not the same strength of schedule. Tennessee's I'm talking played, conference schedule. I though. know Tennessee's had a very like they were in Baton Rouge, the one of the best teams no, in the country. They have though. had some this tough. Is, this hold is on, hold on. They get Mississippi had, State this weekend at home. They get back to back home weekends, which they, they have not had all SEC play long. They are probably going to be sitting at 11 and 10 with the big stretch here, and we'll see what they look like against South Carolina, who's been a huge surprise. Um, they get Georgia, so don't worry, Matt Green. They can sweep Georgia in the next couple weeks, um, as they will do. And we don't have to worry about that. But look, they're back in the top 25. They're streaking at the right time. Everything coming up, Tennessee. So you can I'm try saying, and keep that's it down. Like, that's like saying, well, the, the the New York Giants, you know, they were like 10 and 6 or 9 and 7 when they won the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. we go 9 and 7. We're in the same position they were when they made their – crazy improbable run and won a championship so i don't know if you can really base it off of what old miss did a couple years ago not a couple last year or last year yeah yeah um i don't know the last two teams to win the college baseball world series were in the sec so uh maybe they go three for three with tennessee hey whatever helps you sleep at night you know up there everything's school you know pretty good at everything whatever works for you i I just don't want to know it's not pretty good it's excellent at everything i think you need to put the capital e at everything but um um, what what is this this blasphemy about about georgia people an exodus in athens that's what that's what i want to know that's where i had to stop you that bear alexander just all your all your guys the depth is is waning bear alexander is one no, hold on. We can pull up the uh, you know names. Other no, dudes Georgia's who... definitely had a bunch of transfers. That's the yeah. era we live in. I, I mean, yeah. they probably don't have the most transfers in the SEC, and it's like most of Georgia's transfer. I don't know the list right in front of me, mm-hmm. but uh, most of the transfers Georgia has are guys looking for more playing time. Like yeah. Bear Alexander is one of the, I would say, off the top of my head, probably the only one that Georgia fans are disappointed about. Um, at this point, because mm. I mean, you guys like Dominic Blaylock, you're like, oh yeah, he was a, a, a hashtag damn good dog, you know. But it's like, yeah, he was fine. Like he he was a guy who seemed like he really wanted to play at Georgia and all that. He was committed from like a sophomore year in high school. But are we really losing something with our seventh, eighth wide receiver go leaving? You know, and I don't I don't even think he's found a new home yet. So it's like well, Eric it's Gilbert or something. Like well, it's not just that. It's also yeah, you lost a lot of dudes who ended up in Nebraska. I feel like yeah, um, MJ Sherman, and I think there's a lineman that also ended up in Nebraska. All three of them, and, yeah, and, and like Tresman Marshall, I think is projected to maybe start at inside linebacker at Alabama. It's like, was he the fourth best inside linebacker at Georgia? Like I. It, it, like Georgia might be losing people, but it's because they're bringing in guys who are better. So it's either through the portal or just through the recruiting class, kind of bumping out the the third, fourth year players that haven't really seen much playing time. Barry Alexander's the one though that it's 
you know, he was definitely getting ticks as a freshman. He kind of had that natural progression that a lot of Georgia players seem to have, like the Nicobe Deans and Trayvon Walkers of the world of their, they're getting the, those third down specialty kind of position uh, contributions as freshmen. And then they kind of become studs as sophomores and juniors, but Hey, you know, it's the era we live in, you know, the portal, NIL, and, and all that stuff. This is, this, is, this is what we wanted, right? It is what we wanted, Matt Green. Um, speaking of things we wanted, uh, harsh penalties for storming the field in the SEC, Matt Green. Um, doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, Pat Forty had a piece on this uh, on Monday that got everybody up in a tizzy. And if you read the article, you're like, it's unlikely to gain traction. And it is because the penalties are hilarious. Like, actually taking away a home conference game for Storm. When you talk about some insane punishments, like, that is one of those just a non-starter. Like, what are we doing? Like, that's never going to pass. That's insane. You want to piss off uh, so many of the people in the sport. And your attendance is already going down year over year for college football games. If you really want to do it, let's just attack the fans more and and punish them more for celebrating good things. And it's like, I think there is a happy medium here, which is when Tennessee beats Alabama for the first time in 15 years, they storm in that kind of context. Like, it was good. Vanderbilt storming over, like, Kentucky or, or uh, Florida, whoever it was this past year, or, like, Florida and State storming a bit against Florida last year. It's like... No, there are some where it's like, no, that's that's pretty ridiculous. So I wish there was a way to like police it where it's like, no, this makes sense. When AM beat Alabama two years ago, like there are contexts where it just that's the cool thing about the sport. And I understand the sport is getting closer and closer to becoming this mini NFL, but that's one of those things you just that's a good it's a good visual. Like the visual of Tennessee and the fireworks going off right as um, it went to zero up the kick and everyone's storming. Like that's just part of the appeal to the sport. And I understand about the damage and all that, but it's like, just keep the fines. But I understand you're also like, it's not really a, it's a <clears throat> safety issue. I think it's probably right. more. Yeah. But it's comes with the territory. It's still just work. Even with the safety issues, I think it's still a net positive for the sport and for the TV audience. that's not there. It's like, Oh, that's cool. Like you, it is cool to see, those kind of big moments ended with all the fans storming the field and having fun. Like the goalpost going in the, in the Tennessee river. That's all fun things that those kids and those people are going to remember forever. I understand the safety hazards and all that, but actually putting out there that they might take a home conference game away for storming the field, just real ludicrous stuff. Yeah. I don't think there's any way that that can happen. And I feel like that's why we have these like unwritten rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if you wrote them down, they wouldn't make any sense. You know, it's like there's there's unwritten rules for storming storming fields, you know, and, and, and all that. But if you actually start to legislate it, it's like, yeah, there's way more negatives to 80,000 fans potentially running onto this, the field than there are positives. You know, it's just it's there. It's, we live in the the world we live in today. That the player safety, you know, someone doing something stupid, and you know, whatever. You saw Jermaine Burton last year, like shoved that Tennessee girl or whatever. It's like there's all these instances that could happen, and it's not one of those things that's like if storm if uh, field storming was just completely taken out of the college game, it would like alone like it would devastate me. 
but it's like it's it's a it's a total package here. It's like there's a reason me and people like me and you have always liked college football more than pro football. It's like I can't pinpoint exact the exact reason to everything why, but as a total package, I always preferred this this sport to the pro model. So it's like everything you take out of it that's exclusive to the college model is one less advantage it has over the pro game. And there's a lot of advantages. I mean, there's there's a reason why like Georgia's been the bigger than the Falcons my whole life. Like it's it, it's Alabama football. It's basically a pro state, a pro fan base, and a pro operation. Like LSU, Tennessee, like all of these these pro uh, programs down south that don't have pro football, they basically do have a pro football organization with their college team. And I think there's just so many things that make the college game better. And when we we're starting to do things, tweak the rules, you know, now the players are, what are they, free agents? Are they under contract? All this, it's, it, maybe they're not taking the same classes as the other students. It's like, there's just a, a whole operation that if you just start to change everything, you're gonna see the popularity of college football go down, I think, because it's like, there's something that makes this sport special. and. You can't legislate. You can't be like, oh, like Clemson's one of the worst. Like you just storm the field at every home game you win, regardless. Like that's lame. Like that's, but you can't like set rules because you're like, you see A and M beat Alabama, you see Tennessee beat Alabama, and you're like, that was incredible. That was magical. Like I remember that that one year they showed it for years when Rutgers was like the ESPN game. They had like that great SkyCam view of it. Um, when Ray Rice was there and everything, when they had that 10-win season. And it was just this incredible visual of the fans just flooding the field with red. And it's like, is is the sport better because that exists? Like, I don't know. The, the kick six, like, it was just pandemonium. And it's like part of what makes it college football what it is. So if you start to pass any rules, you can't do anything but like make it illegal just across the board. But I, I guess it's illegal now. You just, you just eat the fine. Or if you're Tennessee, you, you start a GoFundMe, whatever that, whatever that garbage poverty program stuff is. They got the money. Write the check. Let's you taking it from the fans. That's that's uh, that's garbage stuff there. But um, we got to prepare for a big fine from the NCAA in the in the coming weeks. <laughs> is that what it is? It's going to be so, a gigantic fine, uh, whatever oh, the end goal is here in six to eight weeks. But yeah, so I don't know what you make the rules because they have the rules right now. I guess you just have the fine because I get that there's the player safety stuff, but I don't know. And like you, you were even you know knocking Florida State for rushing field for speed in Florida. It's like. That's why you can't legislate it because depending on who you are, like watching Ted Lasso, AFC Richmond, like they hadn't beaten whoever in 60 years at their place. So that's a that's a way bigger win where yeah, Georgia Southern, oh, you just beat you just beat a mediocre SEC team. It's like, well, we just beat an SEC team. That's a that's our Super Bowl if you're if you're a Sunbelt team like that. So you can't really legislate on who what what deserves a field rush like Vanderbilt winning any game they could they could uh, justify uh, a field rush in my eyes it's probably true um but ultimately i don't think anything comes of this i think it's a nothing burger it's just people are pissed off that this is happening more and more and that it caused a lot of damage and it's uh not easy to figure out but we'll see what ultimately happens here 
Um, they did. Uh, they did finalize those other rule changes, though, yeah. as far as the clock goes. How do you feel about the 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 clock not stopping on first down? I feel like does that does that affect someone like Tennessee that wants to go so fast? Like does I mean, that? They're... It's seven plays on average that would go away. So no, I don't think it's going to really. So change. is that an advantage though that they could potentially lose? No, because it's seven plays they total. run so many plays. No, because like part one of, of the advantages they have is getting the de- the, the, the opponent tired, right? Well, the advantage is you can't sub. And sub. Yeah, yeah, that's the advantage, is that you can't sub. So if you have a mismatch, like, it's over. Like, the mismatch is staying on the field for a while. So it, that's really it. I, It's not really, like, the set number of plays and wearing the guys out. It's just not being able to sub is a problem. Like, guys get gas, especially if you're going deep multiple times. If you're doing stuff that Tennessee does out wide, like, they're just they're just getting worked. And if it's just it's tough so i think that will still be advantageous like i don't think you'll see much of a drop off there i think the sky is falling stuff on that doesn't really bother me but i still think they're missing the broader issue which is it's not really the time on the field that's the problem it's the commercials like in the breaks and the replays yes that is more where you should attack so it's like don't worry about the game itself so much like that's not where we're we're struggling no college football fan in the last 20 years has been like we really needed to get rid of that uh, ball stops at, uh, at at when with the first down with X amount of time on the clock. Like they didn't really need to make it like the NFL where it just keeps running. That was never a thought by any college football fan. No, and that's what I mean. It's like, does that rule make college better than pros? Like, no. But yeah. it's a total package. Like if you just keep changing all the rules, eventually, you know, it's just going to be the baby NFL, and that's not really what we want. But I'm glad they at least kept it like in the final two minutes because yes. I think that's that's what we're really going to notice as fans because I think that is what makes – one of the things that makes the college game superior to the NFL from a perspective, from a viewer perspective is just anything can happen in the final 30 seconds of a college football game. Like you don't have any timeouts. Like I know Patrick Mahomes like, literally did it like last playoffs mm. against the Chiefs where it was like no timeouts, like 15 seconds or something, and they somehow got into field goal range. But – that's like with no timeouts in the final minute of an NFL game. It's it's just it's so Im, like improbable to to get that last minute drive. Whereas in college, it's like it might as well be like five minutes left. Like you can get a couple first downs. Like like that that CJ Stroud against Georgia. Like how much time was left? Like 30, 30 40 seconds. I, I think it was longer Georgia, than that. Maybe is just under a minute maybe or is it right about a minute i think it was like like, a little over a minute it was like a minute 10 or something right around a minute if i remember and you just knew it was like they have forever essentially Mm -hmm. like they they're like cj straw ran it a couple times and they got all the way down into field goal range you just unfortunately didn't have a kicker that could hit 50 yarders so that was uh that was good for the bulldogs but yeah, wow. so it's it's not a hey because I hear I, I just got to say this one thing oh, I hear no. this all the time with Ohio State fans or other fans in general like acting like this guy missed a chip shot like it was a fifty yard field goal and if you look at no disrespect to Noah Ruggles out there you look at his career game log he never once hit a fifty yarder in his whole career so it's like you're asking a guy to get, to do something he's never done he did miss it like awful like it was, i think that's the problem it wasn't even how bad i think it, the fact that it was just not even just in the same zip code was more of the issue there it's true but hey you got get him within 50 yards man you can't you can't expect him to uh do something he's not capable of but yeah. uh not, i'm sure he can i'm sure he's hit a 50 yarder in practice but uh no, no, no so. disrespect to noah ruggles out there is he back is he still kicking for a state who knows i honestly don't know 
Um, but it's all right. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, what's not all right, though, Matt Green, uh, the Alabama offensive situation. I am ready to unleash these two takes because these are two important takes, and they're on two sides of the ball. And it's a good way of grouping them together, but we'll get into one before we get into the other. Matt Green. First up, Alabama, Tyler Buckner. Looks like he's going to enter the portal. It's now a weird thing uh, here because... It's like the way it's been reported is like if he doesn't, if Tyler Buckner doesn't see anything that he likes, then he is going to return to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, I guess, is good with it because like we can't really find a replacement at this point anyway for Sam Hartman. So it's like, great if you do. Okay, we'll figure it out if you don't because you already lost Drew Pine to the portal too. So losing both your quarterbacks from a year ago to the portal makes it of uh, this room very, very thin in South Bend, Indiana. But I. I saw, I saw this and it was like the whole week was are people making too much of the sky is falling based on Alabama's predicts. I sent your or a spring game because I sent you the stats, like the drive charts of what it looked like. And it was a mess. And look, part of it is like, hey, Caleb Downs is like immediately the best player on Alabama's defense. Uh, the kid from Mill Creek. Um, and their defense is going to be loaded. Like that's pretty much clear. It's like the defense is going to be really good at Alabama. Big, big if true that Nick Saban's defense is going to be pretty good with Kevin Steele and the amount of talent they have there. However, we wondered on this very program all offseason where it was like, this man was not Nick Saban's first choice. Like, I think Saban would have loved to have had Bill O'Brien back. Like, fans were getting annoyed, but be careful what you wish for. Bill O'Brien had good offenses. Like, Bryce Young had two incredible seasons back-to-back here um, at Alabama. Like, you've had a steady run of innovative, good offensive minds in Sark, Lane, um, and Bill O'Brien. Tommy Reese is nothing like any of those three. And ask any Notre Dame fan. They were not, oh, man, hate to lose Tommy Reese. There was none of that chatter from anyone in the Notre Dame fan base. There was a reason that you went to, let me check my notes here, Ryan Grubb who is the offensive coordinator. This is like a forgotten talking point in the Alabama offensive offseason coordinator search was he was the OC and still is the OC at UW. UW with Michael Penix Jr. and Kalen DeBoer putting on a clinic. They were fantastic. They're probably a CFB playoff team with Michael Penix back this year. Uh, Playoff contender, I should say. He would have been a good hire. Like that would have been kind of consistent to what Nick Saban has done um in the basically from lane kiffin on where he's just hired more of those Shoot, you think they'd go get kalen DeBoer? he'd leave his head coaching job to to be the oc at alabama from the guys they've been getting basically right i mean even dion goes and gets the kent state head coach and he's like sean lewis and it's a fun high electric um air 80 tempo more than anything style saban goes the other way and tommy like I just kept thinking this whole summer, I mean, this whole winter, thinking like, I don't know, man. I just can't shake this feeling. This is a terrible hire. And like, we just have to see it, but he's getting the benefit of the doubt. And Alabama's getting the benefit of the doubt because it's Alabama. And Saban has, hasn't whiffed at OC like this. But it's like, I think this is a whiff. And the fact that Tyler Buckner looks like he might be on his way to following um, Tommy Reese to Alabama tells you, Saban and company aren't okay with the quarterback situation with Simpson and Milrow. 
And that's it. Those are your options. Then you bring in Tyler Buckner. Who of those three scare you if you're a Georgia fan, LSU fan, Tennessee fan? I tweeted this out, and uh, Graham Coffey, friend of the program, uh, agreed with me. And I think this is where I'm like, I think Tennessee's going to be favored at Alabama this fall. I think I'm there where I'm like, I'm not concerned about Alabama being able to outscore Tennessee. Like, part of what that game was last year was Bryce Young just taking like body blow after body blow from this Tennessee team and them just finding ways to stay alive with no receiving options and just a, still finding a way to score point after point. You can't get in that kind of matchup with Tommy Reese. It's not going to be the same kind of offense. I just, I think this is a quiet, just disaster for Alabama. And the fact that Tyler Buckner might be on the way, what Alabama fan is going to be like Buckner and Tommy Reese this is going to be great. We're going to be I'm, rolling. How would it be a quiet disaster, though? I feel like if they're average, it, it's going to be the sky is falling at Alabama. I think like, it's going to be rough. That's my take. I don't. I think it's going to be rough. I Tommy Reese might be a one and done at Alabama. Well, let's not get let's not get ahead of ourselves now. He's yet to coach a, He's yet to coach a game at yeah. Alabama. So I don't want to call for this man's job yet at this point. I'm but. not calling for his job. I'm saying that it could be bad enough where it's like, oh, we can't. This was we met. We messed up. Like Grub is nothing like. But if what you're going Reese to is. like the portal potentially because you're that unimpressed with the quarterback play, if you're Nick Saban, like. I think you're not going to put everything on the offensive coordinator if if you're like we don't have a quarterback right now, and that's one like them we've talked about like last week with them you know run the damn ball or whatever being their motto. Like if they're if they are like a throwback Alabama team or whatever, it's going to be because they can't throw the ball down yes. the field, not because they're just choosing to run now. Like obviously if you can just run all over somebody you're gonna do that first and foremost but we've seen you have to be balanced you Mm -hmm. know even the teams that want to run the most that you always have to be balanced you have to have that element of the pass so that they at least respect it so it's i don't think that's a good thing if they're a team that's that's running the ball more times than not like i mean and have they proven in the last two years that they can have a defense that can win games like that? Like, can they win 21-17 type games? Like, for the most part, they're they're outscoring teams. They're like these – we've seen these games with Arkansas in 2021. And obviously Tennessee beat them. Um, and Texas A&M beat them. It's, you, like, you've seen multiple games that they're winning, scoring in the 40s and 30s. Like, you're – I don't know. We, we haven't – like, it's to just assume they can go back to winning – 13 to 10 games like i don't i'm not sure they can i don't know that they have the defense that's built for that like i think they're gonna have one of the better defenses in the sec but i mean do you think they're gonna be better than last year like no i I think there's a i mean will anderson is a a, maybe a legit generational type talent so lose a guy like that it's hard to it's hard to see the defense being better than they were a year ago so i don't know i don't think bama's a kid i I guess I could eat these words, but I just Cliff Kingsbury, Dan Mullen, Ryan Grubb, all kinds of good names were like out there. Cliff Kingsbury just takes the analyst job in LA and Dan Mullen stays in TV and maybe you couldn't get some of these guys, but like this is, you should have been able to do better than Tommy Reese. And I think the fact that they ended up with Tommy Reese is going to be a big, big issue this fall i don't think bam is a contender with this group and the fact that tyler buckner might be coming down the pike tells me everything i need to know about where alabama's offense is in late april and it's not in a good place 
The thing is, Alabama still has more talent than basically every single team on their schedule. So it's it's like they could run the vanilla Notre Dame stuff that you know they've been doing the last couple of years that just looked very just unimaginative. But doing it with Alabama players, it can still be better than Notre Dame was. So they get Texas th- at home. We'll see what that looks like. But you Texas. know Alabama's got a better roster than Texas, like top to bottom. Like that doesn't mean Texas can't beat them. But Texas it's Alabama. Dudes. It's never been an issue with Texas. Like they're always top five, top seven. I think it's always been an issue. It's been an issue for a long time with no, Texas. No, it's been They've recruited tough. well. But That's they, what I'm but, saying. But they don't have good players. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're recruiting. Like They're not putting dudes in the NFL. Like you look at the last like t- five, ten years, like Texas is not close to being like a pro factory. Like they've. There's been something happens when they go to Austin because they're consistently getting top five, six, seven classes, but like the the talent year in and year out is not there. Like that's why that's my biggest issue with the composite ranking is like the the talent composite, the blue sti- the blue chip ratio. It's like when it tells me that Florida and Texas are in the the top ten in the country in talented teams, and that maybe not Texas right now because they're they're more talented than they have been. But, like, a, a team like Florida last year being, like, top 10 in talent, it's like, I looked at that Florida roster. Like, they didn't have the talent. I don't care what the recruiting stars say. Like, it's a I, – I respect the effort to, like, try to quantify the amount of talent that these teams have, but I'm, I'm not sure – I'm not sure that's the formula that does it. I'm just going to go ahead and say now. I think they go 9-3. and three. Whew, that's a I, That's a hot take right there. I think it's a 9-3 and three team. I don't, I don't hate it, to be fair. But LSU, Tennessee, at Auburn, at and m But they do have... Texas at home, Ole Miss. Yeah, Texas, Tennessee, and LSU are all at home. That's the thing. So those are probably the three toughest games right there. To get those all at home, That that's pretty big. They go out of Auburn? Yes. And it's like, who knows? Who knows what can happen to Jordan Hare? He freeze. He's beat him before. For sure. I mean, bad Auburn teams. Have, yes. Or I guess not bad ones, but mediocre Auburn teams. Every time did. Auburn is good at all, they beat they beat Saban. So. On the flip side, Bear Alexander, who we mentioned at the top of the program, he winds up at USC. It seemed like it was going to be either USC or Texas for uh, the former Georgia defensive lineman. But here is my take on this, and I wonder if you agree. You can speak to what Bear Alexander potentially brings uh, the Trojans uh, going into next season, Matt Green. I don't care. Like, this is not... Like, it's another one things with the Texas stuff where I'm like, okay, Tommy Reese, not thrilled about that if uh, I'm looking at Alabama's opportunity of winning a national title this year and getting back to where they were. On the flip side, everyone's like, USC, USC, Caleb Williams. They're one of the schools that brought back their OC, their head coach, their quarterback, who just won the Heisman, and their DC. There's a lot of continuity now. They had the whole transfer portal offseason last year. They bring in a bunch of Oklahoma guys and everything else. Lincoln replenishes the roster. He had a great recruiting class. A lot of talent in uh, in Southern California right now on this team. Bring back a lot of dudes. Here's the problem. Alex Grinch is still this team's defensive coordinator. You can sign, bring in Bear Alexanders of the world. Didn't matter. Bear Alexander doesn't fix your problem against Utah with Utah dudes just running wide. That Utah offense isn't like something special. Like Andy Ludwig and Kyle Whittingham. I'm a a fan of what Utah does. 
But you're saying a potential game wrecker on the defensive line doesn't doesn't change anything? No, because we've seen this for Alex Grinch. It's like the Grantham thing. You can give Grantham all the talent you want. Like you're still going to be sweating third in Grantham. He is not. This is amazing from CBS Sports. Grinch has not held a ranked opponent to below 27 points since the 2020 Cotton Bowl against Florida when the Gators were without quarterback Kyle Trask and tight end Kyle Pitts. They've been boat raced against ranked teams over and over and over. He hasn't been good since really that first or second year at the latest at Oklahoma when he came over from Wazoo to join Lincoln staff in Oklahoma. He's not good. Like my thing yeah, is like there was he, one of those years they hyped up their improved defense yeah. where they were like weren't terrible. They were like the 50th ranked defense in the That country. was like 8 years ago. <laughs> like I just I look at this and I'm like they didn't address their biggest issue this offseason, which is they need a new defense. Like they have talent. You can recruit in the state of California. Like we've seen good defenses. Pete Carroll's had good defenses there. You have an electric offense. Lincoln knows offense. Like Caleb Williams cannot get any better than what he was a year ago. He'll be great. You have talent all across the board in offense. Not worried about it. What I'm worried about is what happens when Utah punches you in the mouth offensively and they actually have a defense to keep this thing going. You can't get over the Utah hump. What's going to happen when Oregon has more dudes on defense? Like Dan Lanning's recruiting his tail. They're well, going to be better. Well, Pat, the, Alexander. the Pac-12 has quarterback the best quarterback play of anywhere in the country right now. There are dudes everywhere in the Pac-12. They are going to continue to slice these guys up. So when I just see the, like, oh, Bear Alexander to USC, look at all this talent, I'm like, they're still going to suck. Why are we doing this? USC's defense well, is still going to be bad. just one guy. But, right. I mean, to start to get blue-chip prospects on the defensive side of the ball, like, that's huge. I think that's exactly I don't think what so. USC needs. Not when your defense, your defensive coordinator is not good. But I don't care. But to be care. fair, like, were there, like, Alex Grinch defenses that have been, like, loaded with NFL players, but they, like, weren't I mean, good? Oklahoma recruited well. Like, they like recruited Oklahoma, defensive players. For sure. But, it, they like, Oklahoma wasn't necessarily always in, like, the top three or four in recruiting or anything. Like, it's not like they've gotten, like – I mean, they've had their years, like, with their top five. But, like, Lincoln Riley was kind of the first that they ever had a couple of those classes. I mean, they're, they're always top ten for sure. But I'm just saying it's not like they were – like – they had a bunch of NFL players that were underachieving and they went on in the NFL and now they, they're the good players. And it's like, Oh, how did Alex Grinch not get more out of X, Y, Z? Like, I don't know that they've had just elite NFL players on defense by any means. I think defense has, has been an issue at Oklahoma for like a solid decade now. Like it, it was before Alex Grinch that they, they don't seem to know how to play defense in Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma anymore. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, well, I'll believe it when I see it. So it's like my biggest thing about USC is not who they add on defense. I I just need to see a new defensive coordinator. That's... But see, I feel like this is, this is like, I feel like you're making, you're contradicting your own point. I feel like this is honestly like the Dylan Rayola conversation. It's like you're not worried about Georgia having a big-time quarterback. It's like, well, that's all they haven't had is the is the elite quarterback. Well, no, you so haven't had elite that, receiver play. You haven't had elite receiver play. Never had that. I mean, Jordan. I mean, Ron, I'm not trying to get off on that tangent, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, if USC's offense is going to be good year in year out, no doubt, because it's Lincoln Riley, and they're going to have a Heisman winner at quarterback every year. Like, getting the elite guys on the defensive line specifically, like. Those are the guys that don't grow on trees. Like th- those are the guys you have to go down to the southeast and get. And to get a guy like that from 
wherever you want to call him, from Texas, from IMG. I think he went to like four different high schools. Like he's, you got to get those big time players on the defensive line. Like I think that's what has always separated the SEC, the big time teams in the SEC from everywhere else. And honestly, Ohio State has, has always had that big time defensive line play too. But I think that's what separates the the best teams from the from the next is just dominating on the line of scrimmage. So He's if not USC worried. is able to do that, like that's that's definitely a huge for them. I just don't think that's going to happen. Is what I'm saying. So I think Bama and USC are frauds. Sell it right now. Neither can win the title in 2023, 2024. Sell it right now. Neither can. Tommy Reese and Alex Grinch cannot be uh, your coordinator uh, on either side of the ball. I am definitely not selling. They went to the Pac-12 champion or won the Pac-12 championship. No, they lost to Utah. They got went to the Pac-12 championship year one though. It's like Brian Kelly year one. The Pac-12 like, better. better. That's what I'm saying. Washington's better. Oregon's even better. better. But I'm saying USC was in the Pac-12 championship with that good conference of Washington, Oregon State. They're not even going Oregon. to the Pac-12 championship game this year, Matt Green. They Sell the USC year? stock. I'm selling it. I'm telling you, USC They're, cannot hey. win the title. You can't. Frauds. I will never Get sell on here. a year two. I will never sell on a year two head coach, sir. You know me. Look at you. You love Josh Heupel. You love the the year two bump. Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin. I don't love Josh Heupel. I always hype up the year two. It's happened forever. Kirby Smart, Mark Richt, like the list, Urban Meyer, the list goes on and on. I'm just saying I am not going to down. I'm I'm not going to say I agree that Alex Grinch is overrated there. I don't know why he's still such a big name in college football. He's West Coast Grantham. But but I, I don't know. I'm not going to give it up on USC because USC has the ability to get that elite of elite level talent in recruiting and apparently NIL. My biggest thing is with this portal era now, it's it just it honestly it just kind of sucks talking about it. <laughs> like you have no idea why anyone is transferring. It's like we have free agency without knowing anything about our team's salary cap or like you know, what the depth chart's going to be moving forward. It's like, like we're talking about Tyler Buckner and everything. It's like, for all we know, like Tyler Buckner is like, he might be like, oh, I'm, I'm cool being second or third string in Alabama. I really like Tommy Reese. You know, I just, I want to get back with, I didn't like this new coaching staff or something. He might not even be thinking like, oh, Alabama's court. It might not even be Alabama reaching out that's saying like, oh, wow, our quarterback situation's terrible. We got to go. We got to go get a quarterback out of the portal. Like, cause now people are like with this bear Alexander, it's kind of being talked about. Like it's a mutual decision that Georgia was kind of okay with him leaving. And like, I, I, I heard on the cover three podcast, like listen to them talk about it. It's just, it's such a weird way we're having these conversations now because they were talking about specifically Georgia, how you had Jermaine Burton go to Alabama and Georgia let him go. So that now you saw he wasn't good at Alabama. That there's probably a reason Georgia let him go. So they're like, oh, maybe there's a reason Georgia's letting Bear Alexander go. Or these guys have free will, and a college can't just make them stay, and they just wanted to go to a different college. Or it's nil. It's like there's all kinds of reasons, but we're all trying to like draw conclusions with every single, with every single move that's made. Like they brought up Amarius Mims was in the portal. But then Georgia wanted him enough to like match the offer FSU gave. It's like you don't even know that that happened. Like maybe, like I've I've also heard that Amarius Mims went on his visit to Florida State, and Jermaine Johnson was supposedly down there and advised him to to stay at Georgia. Like I've heard rumors of that. So 
you there's just all kinds of things people every time someone loses a player oh they gave him nil we can't match the money yada 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 it's just there's already so many it was already in recruiting every player that didn't commit to your school was because he was getting handed bags of cash but every guy that went to your school is because he just loves the university and the academic tradition and all of this he just wants to be a bulldog it's like it's just giving us giving fans like 10 more reasons to complain and and like we have no idea we have no idea what's actually happening in this like free agency market or anything and and maybe maybe bear alexander i heard at one point he said he didn't like the way he was used at georgia like he was used as like a third down specialist which if you know anything about kirby smart defenses is how a lot of stud freshmen are used until they get a bigger role also they just won a national championship so clearly they had a lot of good players but so he was saying he's like an every down guy so he he wants to go somewhere and jermaine johnson said something similar he wants to go somewhere and play more snaps yeah that makes perfect sense but all, all you're gonna hear is georgia fans oh it's just nil at usc's throwing bags of cash and we like have no idea what's even true it's just it's it's uh it's just like this weird this weird era we're living in now that was a good one you feel better <laughs> i do i got that off my chest what do you what any thoughts no, we got to move on. We got <laughs> Fair it. enough. I'll leave it there. Um, Matt Green, ACC revisited. One more conference to go, the Pac-12 after this to wrap things up here with the big dogs. Um, who overachieved in the ACC last year? I have a suspicion as to who you're going to go here, but um, who overachieved for you the most in the ACC? Kind of suspicion. That's like it's making me want to change my answer. But um, I think you got to go with the Duke Blue Devils. I knew that was where you're going. Is that is that where you know? Yeah. I just if Duke is winning nine games, it's like easy answer, honestly. Like they're well, let's not get crazy. Nine games. Well, then again, I mean, what was Cutcliffe's best? Because he got to the ACC title game once. Um, I want to say they may have had an eleven win season. Um, hmm. Maybe a ten win season. The year I know that year they played Johnny Manziel in the um, was that Daniel Jones too in the Chick Fil A in the Chick Fil A Bowl. Um, I don't, that that's probably before Daniel Jones. Okay, I can't I can't even remember. That's probably twenty thirteen. Yeah, it was definitely before. I'm I have no no idea who was who was quarterback for them at that point. Yeah, we can look that up. Um, but I'll hit the Google machine. Duke being your overachiever and that's fair like mike elko year one nine wins like it kind of jumps out at you where you're like wait what what did they do because it didn't feel like it right at the end of the year that they went nine and four overall like when you went back and saw that you're like wait did they five and one at home man really good home team in the year on a two-game winning streak i don't know i think that was a, a pretty pretty nice year for for the blue devils and a pretty surprising one and they're one of those teams that kind of now get screwed with the new division going away situation where it's like oh last year you were so close north carolina right above you making the do title they get game in the screwed coastal. or they do they just go back to their proper plays like their 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 proper chances of winning the ac well not even just winning like ACC it's just like oh yeah y'all aren't ever going to an acc title game again like those are gone um that ship has sailed with this new format but um it's a tough schedule next year too just looking at it it's, mm. uh, they got notre dame next year 
open with Clemson. It's uh, not going to be easy. Syracuse was the answer until they finished the year the way they did. Like they ended up seven and six, but you forget undefeated. And we'll talk about Clemson, Syracuse, and where they were. The offense falls off a cliff down the stretch there. But you know, I I thought they overachieved in a way, but they don't they don't feel right. Um, Florida State, and Clemson, obviously not in here. North Carolina underachieved. I think in a lot of ways they've in the year four straight losses. The only one you could really make the case for, if it's not Duke, is Pitt, um, who won five straight to end it. They had some guys getting injured throughout the year. Um, Pat Narduzzi made a big change to his offense uh, from a, the previous year. We were like, we're throwing the ball around too much. I want to go back to the ground and pound. And you get Keaton Slovis in there. And that didn't really work out. And yet they still won a lot of games. Like Pat Narduzzi just finds ways to win a lot of football games at Pitt. And you're like, it never looks good. It's always clunky. It feels like they beat teams they shouldn't, but they're just overly confident, competent, and just are a good bet to overachieve year over year. I think they're the lifetime ACC overachievers under Pat Narduzzi. That's probably a good call too, because I didn't really feel like they were very good, but yeah. they just they were just they they won games. They won mm-hmm. more than they lost uh, by the end of it. Also, if you look at Duke, four losses by a total of sixteen points. Hmm. This team almost went undefeated. They had a loss by two, two losses by three, and then one loss by eight. It's uh, almost went undefeated. It could have been a national championship year for for the Blue Devils. <laughs> could have been a national championship. What were the four losses? And then, and then destroyed the Central Florida Golden Knights. Mm. Uh, they lost to Kansas uh, by eight, then lost to, at Tech in overtime. 23-20, lost to North Carolina by three, and then lost at Pittsburgh by two. Hmm. It's like a bunch of close losses. Yeah. Who underachieved the most in 2022, Matt Green, in the I ACC? I think this is probably the easiest answer, right? It's the Miami Hurricanes, without mm. a doubt. Like, I know it's year one of Cristobal, but I don't know. Like, with this roster, like <laughs> – I mean, for if for nothing, no, for no other reason than maybe just Tyler Van Dyke, like he was good. I saw it. I saw it with my with my two eyes that he was a good player in 2021, and then they just absolutely broke him in 2022. I'm not sure what happened. Um, maybe he'll come back in in 2023 and it'll, it'll be back to his uh, his his former self. Um, who's the new OC? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, You're usually better with those uh, than me. But, yeah, obviously a new OC for the second straight year. Oh, God. Um, It's not important. Yeah, (laughs) Josh Gaddis was fired. I'm trying to think. Yeah, they went five and seven last year. Like, some of their losses just getting blown out by Shannon Dawson. Okay. Mm. And he was at Michigan, too. That's what I was like. I was thinking, I was like, it's someone I know. And I was like, okay, Shannon Dawson. Yeah, because I think he was the co-offensive coordinator at Michigan this past year. Okay. So we'll we'll see. Give give that another roll of the dice. That's a good call because they were horrible offensively. Like, you had that blowout loss at home to Middle Tennessee State. Like, that was one that we kind of forgot about. Middle Tennessee State was not good last year. Um, Both of my ACC championship picks really last year. It was Miami mm. and NC State I had in the in the uh, ACC championship, and both for similar reasons. The the big time quarterback had some injuries, but also just uh, 
did not play to, to his level of, of play, to, mm. to his standard. So NC State, it felt like they should have been better than, than the 8-5 and five that they had last year. Especially NC the State was Clemson the answer down. for me, too. Where, I mean, there was an injury. MJ Morris had to be under center uh, for a lot more than they planned on it. Devin Leary, our Duke, getting injured. Obviously derailed some things, but... You get Clemson on the road at the wrong year with this group, so you had to go there and you lose 30 to 20. You survive Florida State at home. Um, you get, I mean, losing that game to Syracuse um, that following week and then barely beating Vatek, losing to Boston College at home, and then losing at Louisville. It's just, and obviously the bowl game. But yeah, it felt like coming into last year, this was like, if you're ever going to do it, NC State, if you're ever going to get over that hump in the ACC, and take care of like a still not there, but getting closer Florida State and a very vulnerable Clemson. This was the year in T State, and it feels like they just kind of, kind of missed the moment, and it kind of, kind of stinks. Yeah, they they kind of fit in the way we talked about a couple teams from like the Big Ten and the and the Big Twelve, like the years where Oklahoma, the years where Wisconsin is down, like you gotta you gotta take your your opportunity, and that was that was probably it for them in twenty twenty two. Obviously, Devin Leary's gone. I don't know. I don't know what their over/under is going into 2023, but I don't think they're going to be. I don't think they're going to be any better than they were last year. Hey, who knows? Maybe uh, MJ Morris. Maybe he's maybe he's the guy. Or it's Brennan Armstrong who transferred over um, from UVA, so he might be the the start of the Southpaw because Robert and I, who was the OC at Syracuse and was his OC when he had that big time year two years ago at UVA. Bronco Mendenhall, he is now the OC at NC State because their OC, okay. uh, Beck, is now the head coach at Coastal Carolina. See, I know a lot, but even still. And he's like a case of Van Dyke, too. Like, he just was not the same guy he yeah. was uh, in 2021. So hopefully we can see Armstrong back to his, his 2021 days. Love a southpaw. The man's a southpaw. Not not enough southpaw quarterbacks like myself. Yeah, I don't think there's any in the NFL right now, right? Oh, Tua. Tua, Tua's the only one. Because it was like after Kellen Moore retired, there was like a four or five-year period where there was literally no left-handed quarterbacks. Let lefties be great. That's what I've always said here on this program. It's not right, okay? I don't stand for it. Wrong kid died. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, The best game. Uh, what? How was it not uh, Syracuse and Clemson, Matt Green? Do you have a different one? Mm, that's a good call. I um, I honestly forgot about that game. Uh, that it, that was ancient history. It's funny you forgot about that game because you spent like ten minutes complaining and very angry about the game on they this very did. program. They got hosed in that game. The the what was it? The late hit. Yeah. They called one hit, late hit, and then they didn't call like basically the exact same thing in their favor. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one. Did it extend a drive? Uh, I think it extended the drive for Clemson on like a third down stop. Yeah. Yeah, that was just garbage. Syracuse got hosed in that game. Um, maybe that's why I didn't remember it. It was I had, I had bitter thoughts about that game. <laughs> um, my answer was North Carolina Wake Forest. It was 36-34, North Carolina almost 1100 yards of offense in this game is just attract me like you see a lot of wake forest and a lot of north carolina games um honestly probably the best game it was hard to pick north carolina they they played nine one score games last (laughs) year they went six and three in those uh one score games 
Appalachian State, North Carolina, like second game may have been the craziest one of all, but obviously that wasn't two ACC schools. But yeah, and then Georgia State the next week. So North Carolina just week in and week out. I feel like I was, uh, they were must-see TV because you just knew you were going to see a, a, a good entertaining finish. That's fair. Um, Georgia Tech did well enough for Brent Key to keep the the job full-time. Um, he gets the interim tag removed. Seems like a really easy guy to root for. Um, at Tech, still really weird how the job ended Other up. Other than with... he's a Georgia Tech guy. But yeah, yeah. everything everything else, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can't even fake the Georgia Tech rivalry anymore, honestly. It's like, I don't even dislike them. It's... It, I, they they had to beat us again for you know, for you to like remember how much you dislike them. I don't think that's coming anytime soon. But what might be coming is Let's them being a bowl eligible team year in year out. Like based on what happened last year, fans got a little bit more excited. You saw some growth. Uh, they hit the portal hard this off season. We'll see what they look like. They they seem like they're trending in the right direction, recruiting up a little bit. But what do you think is the fan expectation, or should be the fan expectation for Georgia Tech? Should it just be? Seven and five ish most years, and then a sprinkle in a nine and three, ten and two year when you have the right quarterback and the right schedule um, at Tech. Or do you think they could still be something more? Because it was like, oh, we get, if we get prime, we could be the 404 is cool again. We can do this because Jeff Collins tried to do that too, where he tried to make Atlanta cool again. And that was the spot. Like, has that chip sailed? What should be the expectations to be a happy Georgia Tech football fan year over year? So this is a complicated answer. First of all, Jeff Collins will never get the credit he deserves. All right. Mm. He, he had to, Georgia Tech had to crawl before they could walk again. And unfortunately, someone had to come along and just stop the triple option nonsense, make them a legit power five program again that can actually recruit four star prospects out of the state of Georgia. Mm. Like, that's just like the very first thing like just being a program that's just like a legitimate school to consider like there's so many guys especially growing up in Gwinnett County that are playing division one like power five football that aren't going to Alabama they're not going to Ohio State you know but they're going D1 it seemed like so many guys would go to South Carolina or Kentucky you know like just nonstop. like they would get those guys from like Metro Atlanta and they built good programs from with those players, like with Kentucky and South Carolina. Like, there's no reason Georgia Tech can't start to get some of those guys, other than the reason of like all your memory of your entire life of Georgia Tech as a high school recruit is them being a trash team that's completely irrelevant. And they're just in the shadow of the juggernaut school in their home state. But it's still the state of Georgia that has so much talent and Jeff Collins was starting to recruit the, the 404, push Atlanta and all that. That's a must because Atlanta is a sales pitch in terms of, you know, just location. And it's a cool city in the Southeast. I just, so Georgia Tech, there's not a reason why Georgia Tech can't be a contender. Like the academics I know is talked about, but like Stanford was good for like several years in a row, right? Like, so there's no reason why, like, no disrespect to players, but you can find things for players to major in, like that aren't the most difficult engineering degrees. You know what I mean? Like they had a good football program. They won. They split a national title in the in 1990. 
Like, that is 33 years ago now because we are getting old, but it's not ancient history. Like, it obviously is, like, decade plus before right, these high school recruits were born, but it's it's still possible, and just geographically where they're located, they can have – there's no reason they can't have a respectable football program. But right now – you should be you should be expect like at least reasonably expecting a team that can go bowling every year but like once you establish that and you become a respectable team i don't feel like there's like a ceiling on georgia tech that's like competing for acc titles like i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility like they beat georgia three years in a row 98 99 2000 like Joe Hamilton was a Heisman finalist. Like Calvin Johnson was a big time recruit, five star that was a top two draft pick. I was the second pick of the draft. Like an NFL Hall of Famer. Like there's Georgia Tech can get good players. It's like you just have to have a good coach. Maybe Brent Key is. Maybe maybe he's that guy. Maybe he's not. But I don't think there's Georgia Tech is like inherently like destined to, to be an irrelevant football program. I just think being in the, in the in Atlanta in the like right in the heart of the southeast where all the recruit the best recruits are coming from, just that alone gives them like a a floor of like you should be a bowl eligible team every year. It's kind of like how we talk about Georgia basketball. Like it's not there's not that many guys to field a basketball team. So much talent is coming out of the metro Atlanta area. There's no reason some of it doesn't go to to Athens, Georgia. So Georgia Tech is kind of the same type thing. Like obviously it is an elite academic institution and it has some challenges that other schools don't have, but you've you've seen them in the 90s, in the 2000s have a team that can win 9-10 games. So it's it's a long it's a long long-winded answer, but so there's a, there's a few expectations, but right now that they could be they could go bowling next year. Virginia, one in six in the conference. Virginia Tech, one in six in the conference. Both year one coaches. Wake Forest, Dave Clawson loses his quarterback to the portal. Sam Hartman, Boston College, Jeff Halfley, really rough year, two and six in the conference. Of the bottom four cellar dwellers, who would you say, which fan base should be the most concerned about where their program is going to be in 2023 and beyond? Um, it's hard to say, like, because Virginia Tech, I obviously, we have a viewpoint of Virginia Tech of just their tradition. Mm. It's not a long history of tradition, but it's just kind of like our lifetime when we grew mm. up. They were always a consistently good program. But maybe it's just, it was just Frank Beamer, and that was all they mm. ever would be. So I don't know. Virginia Tech, It's they're starting to feel like one of those programs that, like, are they a sleeping giant or are they just are they just asleep for good? You know, like I, I really don't know. Like me and my brother were having this conversation about Nebraska uh, like last week or so. Like they, I would call them a sleeping giant, but it's hard to know if they're ever going to fully uh, get awake again. Vatek is one. I don't know. I think Nebraska is awake. Like you saw the spring game numbers. Yeah, they're a way different rolls. tradition for sure. I think Nebraska could. I'm I'm growing warmer and warmer on the Matt Roll Nebraska revitalization. I'm I'm getting more and more warmer and warmer on that. I will Same. say I think Virginia's kind of screwed. I think Virginia with the NIL stuff and where they are, I think they're going to struggle. I think this is going to be really really tough for Tony Elliott to turn around. I think Bronco was a sneaky really good fit for them, where Bronco coming from BYU and just kind of like 
you need someone there who just knows how to do more with less. I think Virginia is going to be a do more with less. And Tony Elliott coming from Clemson, where it's just you have so many resources at your disposal and the com- the university's priorities are completely different. Like UVA and Clemson is different. Like Clemson is all in on football. Like that is they are doing it all. UVA is not. They're a basketball school, a baseball school, an academic school. Like that's just not going to be the priority ever. I don't know. I'm Would you call them an everything school. No, or just a pretty good at everything school. No, um, but I would say UVA. I think is in the most trouble of those four. I am still pretty bullish on Virginia Tech. They still have the resources. I think Brent Pry. I'm going to give him one more year. Like they should not have been as bad as they were this past year in year one. I just they bring back both OCDC head coach and Grant Wells, former Marshall legend. I think they'll be better. I think they'll go bowling this year. If I had to guess. Now, like you said, in our lifetime, we've been accustomed to just Tyrod Taylor, Michael Vick, Marcus Vick, uh, dude after dude. Um, what was it? Kevin Jones was Sean a really good running back. Glennon? Was that the Sean quarter? Glennon? Yeah. Um, all kinds of dudes. Um, there was one. Uh, was it Randall? Was there a guy? Was there a Randall at some point? I don't remember. Marcus Randall? That sounds right. That Marcus Randall. Was he an LSU quarterback? Maybe he was he LSU, but there Tech? was... I know there was more quarterbacks some, in this there's group. There's someone in between um, Vic and Vic and Vic that, yeah. uh, that I'm forgetting. Right? Yeah. I don't remember who it was. I thought mad. Um, but Eddie Royal, like they produced so many NFL dudes uh, over the course of like 20 years. Uh, what, D'Angelo Hall? Was he Was he a Vatek guy? If I remember D'Angelo right? Hall was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, they were staying producing defensive backs there yeah. for a while. Daryl Tapp? I want to say um, Seahawks, uh, big time Cam Chancellor. Yeah. Virginia Tech. So they were kind of a sneaky NFL factory for a little bit. I don't know. I think Virginia Tech, I would still not sound the alarm. But if I'm a UVA football fan, I'm like, this is probably not going to get better. I think this is going to be a problem. And Boston College on the flip side, I think, is they're in some problems, too. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get that thing all the way turned around where that's a, it's a good option. Matt Green, the most so difficult. Marcus oh, Randall. Marcus Randall was the quarterback for LSU uh, when they threw that hail mary versus Kentucky. Uh huh. So that was that was Marcus Randall. So he was LSU. So oh, it's Brian Randall. Brian Randall. What year? Uh, he's thirty nine now. So two thousand four, five. Okay. Yeah, he was the starting That's quarterback like from two thousand two, two thousand three, and two thousand four. I knew there was a Randall, Brian Randall. There you go. And that I'm not is crazy. Right, right between both Vicks. Yes. Too. Gotcha. Look at that. Well done, sir. Look at that. College football knowledge. You, you got it. Um, last thing, Matt Green. The most difficult spot for this head coach in 2023 is who? Who do you think going into next Wait, year? Wait, we're not doing overrated and underrated? Eh, no. Oh, I was ready to, I was ready to bring it, All right, man. do it real quick. Do it real quick. <laughs> Most overrated player. You want to go overrated or underrated? Yeah, go Let's, overrated. I'm coming in hot. Yeah. Most overrated player in the ACC, not even close. Will Shipley. This guy is not Christian McCaffrey. I'm sorry. He's a white running back. That's where the similarities end. He's like, yeah, he's a, a dynamic, like he's a dual threat receiving out of the backfield. If this guy was not a five-star recruit, no one would, would know. Like, I mean – He's a, don't get me wrong. He had a good season, like a thousand yards and like double digit touchdowns. 
but he would not be hyped up the way he is as like a dark horse Heisman candidate. Like the like he's just he's fine. But if he wasn't a five star, I don't think I don't think we would know that much about Will Shipley. Okay. Most overrated player. Hands Shipley, down. I just Will Shipley's awesome, but it's not like he's bad. I don't know. Overrated for Will Shipley is a take. Okay, you're underrated. Most underrated player in the conference. See, but I think you always you have a different definition of overrated and underrated. You're overrated mm. and underrated is like overperform or underperform. Like based on like what they were supposed to be. Like I'm mm. thinking like what they are right now today. I just he was way better in, as a sophomore than he was as a freshman. So maybe he continues that progression. But, um, yeah, still a little overrated for my blood. Okay. Um, and underrated is the Wake Forest wide receivers. Hmm. Three wide receivers on each of the all-ACC teams. All right? So first team, second team, third team, nine wide receivers. Wake Forest did have one guy, first team, I forget his name, A.T. I think his first name's A.T. something. Um, off the top of my head, I gotta pull him up because I'm talking about him. Um, they had four of the top seven receivers in the ACC in in receiving touchdowns this past year. Only one of them got on the first three teams of the ACC. So give me all of the Wake Forest receiving uh, core was underrated last year. Okay, I like that. The claw fence, man. They, uh, they're always putting out numbers. They had that back and forth with Clemson that people forgot. Like, um, that was a lot of fun, uh, early on this past year where they got uh, Clemson at home. A.T. Perry was uh, yes. first team all ACC, 81 catches over a thousand yards, 11 touchdowns, but they had two That's guys. a star receiver name, by the way. A.T. Perry. You like that? I Jamal like A.T. Perry. Banks. Let's put a name on it. Jamal Banks and Taylor Marin both mm. had nine touchdowns. Donovan Green, six touchdowns. Just spreading it all around. Maybe it was probably because they had maybe the best quarterback in the ACC, one of them, and best now they looking, don't have that for sure. <laughs> this guy knows. Well, so, it's, not yeah. a, it's not me. It's our wives. They know. Oh, of course. Of course. Mm. Sam Hartman. He's, he's a dreamy-looking man. Uh, hey, my the, lady's a Stetson Bennett gal, all right? No one's that. No, no, she doesn't. Hey, that's honest. That's her honest opinion. Really? She's into it? Oh, yeah. She'd leave mm. me for Stetson Bennett right now. It's the confidence. It's not the looks. It's basically because she likes older men, though. Mm. The man is nearly our age. Um, Matt Green, most uh, the heat index for this coach is the highest uh, going into 2023 in the ACC. Who is it? Oh, the heat index is the highest... I would have to say it's still the highest for Mike Norvell, hmm. but I don't think it will be at the end of the season because I think this is the year, but because this is the year, like, I think that's why he actually has pressure. Like it's not Ryan day pressure or anything. Like he's got to, you know, win the conference or win the national title or it's a, or it's a bust. But I think he is in a position like if they don't get to the conference championship, there's going to be like some serious talk. Like it's going to be like some serious hot seat stuff going into 2024. Unless there's like multiple key wins, like you beat Florida or something, you beat LSU, but maybe something happens and you don't get to the ACC championship. You know, maybe there's some leeway there, but like I think this team's got to have another 10 win season to just to just kind of keep things like fine. Like if they go t- 10 and 3 again next year, there's no nothing's hotter. It's probably cooler because you're like, okay, we got a good coach. 
We just want to make sure. That, I mean, this was what year four last year? Was this year mm-hmm. three? For who? For Norvell. Norvell. I think like this, this upcoming year is year four. Or is it year five? Year four, right? So it's like he had that breakthrough in year three. So he hasn't been around for too long, but it is Florida State. And you just go down the ACC. It's like who's under any pressure? Yeah, this is at year all? four. Yeah, so it's like you go into the ACC down the ACC line. It's like who's under any real pressure at all. Other than I may, I don't want to steal your thunder, but other than uh, Norvell and Mario Cristobal, I feel like the entire conference is basically new head coaches or guys that are just like established and the the schools are cool with what they got. I think it's Dino Babers for me. Like he mm. was already kind of at the end here, where it was like, okay, this probably isn't working, and then you start off undefeated the way he did. You play Clemson as well as you did, and then the season just completely goes off the rails, and you lose all that goodwill you built in the first half because it's a recency bias thing where it's like it's not how you start it's how you finish and they finish just horribly down the stretch so i think when you go into next year that he has to start strong like going to purdue will be big early um i just i don't like the schedule like clemson at home they always will do that they play them well at home for whatever reason too so that will be good but you're at unc at florida state at virginia tech Pitt at home would be nice but you go to tech like this looks like a six and six seven and five year but if you're flirting with five and seven or anywhere like if you're five and seven i don't think he keeps his job i think he has to go bowl eligibility again so i think there's a lot of pressure on dino babers uh to kind of build off what he did last year and be a little bit more consistent i think he needs to establish that that last year wasn't a fluke so i think he the seat's still pretty warm for him in syracuse quick do you know what year this is for dino babers at syracuse isn't he like I, i think he hold on without looking is he the second longest tenured ACC coach. I don't know that tenure. I'm just looking at his at his page right now. Seven. So. Yeah, this is year eight. Okay. So I just would never have guessed that he's been there that long. Like, obviously, he had the one good year where they beat Kelly Bryant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or that that wasn't even the good year. I think they beat them the next year. Um, he's only had one good year, really. Yeah, that was like the early one good on. year in 2018 where they went yeah. 10 and three. But yeah, that's uh, that's the only year where they finished ranked. So a lot of uh, a lot of five and sevens, obviously mixed in that one and ten. And uh, 2020 was not great. So yeah, I think the I think a bowl game. That's a good call. I think if they don't go to a bowl game, that 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 probably could be the end of him. But it's also Syracuse, so it's like if they go five and seven, you think it. I don't. I don't know that they fire him at five and seven, but I don't know. I guess Syracuse wasn't hasn't always been terrible at football, but just in recent history. Yeah, Donovan McNabb, sir. Um, well, there Dwight you go. Franey's not walking through that door. No, no. Uh, Matt Green. That's all I've got, my friend. ACC wrapped up here. We'll do uh, Pac-12 next Tuesday night as we wrap up this series, and we got all kinds of. Great college football, evergreen content, some big topics that we're going to continue to hit on uh, as we get in the, the summer months here in the South. But it's, uh, it's going to be a fun time. More news will be breaking week over week. I'm sure the Pac-12 will get a media rights deal at some point over the next couple of weeks that we can discuss. Uh, more portal no- movement, all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, the college football season inches closer and closer. It's not that far. It's April 25th, but... I mean, it comes like it. We're only a couple months away from just really getting that itch, and we see the summer ball practices coming up, and it's like, uh oh, it's July, and this is the practice videos are coming out, and it's like it's getting real now, and then it's just all excitement uh, from then on out, and it's preview season and all that good stuff. So yeah, I like how the sports year progresses. It's mm. we got 
basically four months of NBA playoffs. I don't know how long the NBA playoffs last, Two. but they last a long time. But yeah, these NBA playoffs are great. Month and a half. It, it distracts you. And then you got the MLB season starts to ramp up, you know, July, August. And uh, then before you know it, we got college football. So I know you're going to be rooting on the Sacramento Kings to, uh, to take the lead against the Warriors. Almost, almost went up 3-1 in the series. Hopefully my guy De'Aaron Fox can, uh, can, can battle that, that injury he's got. But, uh, you know, Wednesday night, be rooting on those uh, Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to win the series. Uh, Matt Green. They're winning it all, baby. Wow. The Beam Man. They don't Light call him, the Beam. They don't call him Matt Beam Green right. for nothing. Hey, I've been repping Sacktown since a long time. <laughs> what a sense. I'm actually just, a, I'm actually just a, the biggest Fairweather Sacramento Kings fan. But I have been repping Sacktown in my, in my fantasy sports name for years. There you go. For that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Everything School HQ, Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all we've got, and I will talk to you next Tuesday. Yes, sir. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah